So Jesus, after his baptism, had begun his public ministry. And it was the early days, but already things were, <clears throat> were being said about him and, um, and his fame was beginning to grow. And he had returned to his hometown of Nazareth, Nazareth, where our episode this morning takes place. So I'm going to read from verse... Um, from verse 14. We'll pray and get into it. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and his fame went throughout the surrounding region. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by everyone. Lord, this morning we pray for your mercy, your grace upon us, as you have so abundantly shown already. Open our eyes to, to that truth. Open our hearts to receive your word without bias, without prejudice, and learn to completely trust in you. As we read now, Lord, the dangers of hardened hearts and, and personal prejudice and bias, and how it can so damage our walk with you, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So he found himself in Galilee in a synagogue. A synagogue, every town uh, where there's a Jewish population would have had some sort of synagogue, and it wouldn't have been much different from uh, a church like this. It would have been around the same size building, if not maybe a little bit smaller or a little bit bigger, depending on the population of the town. And um, people would gather, and there would be a place in the middle where the rabbi would read from the scrolls and give a word of exhortation. They would sing and, um, and fellowship. And in this case... Uh, Jesus was uh, at his hometown, having spoken at other synagogues uh, in, in the region. And, um, and so they asked him, won't you read the scriptures for us today? And he said, I'm sure he said, sure, I'll do that. In verse 16, it said he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on Sabbath day. And they stood up and read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he had unrolled it and he had found the place where it was written. So he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. In your modern Bibles, you would find it around chapter 61. From verse 1, I think, in chapter 61, he paraphrases it exactly because he's reading from it, okay? He's not paraphrasing it. He's reading it 
this would um, be almost what it says. <clears throat> and the purpose of this encounter was to break preconceived ideas about the coming Messiah, about him being there. He wanted people to understand the reason for his earthly ministry culminating at the cross, but to what end? And we get a glimpse here. And we find that the people didn't like his answer or his audacity to say the things that he did. And then he talks about God's grace, God's favor on us. And that's the purpose of this message this morning, that we, just as he did, break down some preconceived ideas about Christ. The gospel is, of course, getting to know Jesus better. And what he teaches in this specific case about grace and about prejudice. We are going to look at uh, from what he reads in Isaiah, the recipients of Jesus' earthly ministry back then and the people that still rejected him, what he taught about God's grace. So he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach to the poor, to be he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the scroll in the middle of a verse. The verse continues in Isaiah and it says, and the day of the vengeance of God. But he doesn't say that. He stops it. He was there to break con conceptions because people wanted vengeance. They wanted the Romans to bow at their feet and their Messiah to lead them to glorious military victory. And they wanted all the heathen nations to be judged. And we are God's chosen people, and you are heathen pagans that deserve to burn. <laughs> That's what they wanted. So they would have nodded along and then he stopped at that and he closed the book <laughs> or rolled up the scroll and he didn't include that last bit because that's still coming he said <clears throat> so let's look at that let's look at who then jesus or the, or the purpose of his teachings and his miracles and his ministry it was the recipients were the poor of spirit, not the poor physically. We know that from cross-referencing other verses. To be 
poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, in Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> we have nothing in ourselves to make us spiritual. We have no money in the account to pay for our debt. We are spiritually bankrupt. And you know what? That's a good place to be. When people are there, we are humbled and we are repentant. And we have nowhere else to turn but to God. And he came to preach good news to the poor, to the poor in spirit. The brokenhearted, to heal the brokenhearted. Not just to heal the sick or to mend a broken bone. But to comfort the grieving and to restore countenance, joy. That in him we can find joy. And, and he did all these miracles, healing people. But he came to preach hope. And, and in him we find our joy. Not in the circumstances that surround us. He came to set free the captives. Romans and other passages um, talk about uh, the sin and how we understand sin. And that in our fallen natures, we are compelled to sin. There's nothing else. We don't have the Spirit to empower us, to, to, to sanctify us. We are just simply compelled to sin. We are captives to it. We are slaves to our own desires. And he has come to offer freedom. One of the things about the cross is redemption, okay? It's a term that, that says that Jesus has, um, has paid uh, a, a debt or um, has freed us from an obligation. He has redeemed us we are now no longer belonging to that but we belong to him the ones blinded by darkness to give sight to darkness i didn't want to include too many cross references here this morning but specifically this one from second corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 it says but if our gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost. That the God of this world, small g, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is, in, is the image of God, should shine on them. We, we, are, we are blinded. To the sin we are not in our lust state even aware of right and wrong according to god's standards and we decide right and wrong for ourselves when we get saved i don't know if you experience this but i felt like more of a sinner than i ever did when i was lost 
because we walk in the light now and the light reveals all of that to us and makes our heart tender to the wrongs that we have indulged ourselves in for so long. So it opens our eyes. And the bruised and the beaten, it says, those who are oppressed. That suffering is a staple of our fallen world and injustice is a daily occurrence. The Lord says, in the gospel, we are all equal. In faith, in, um, uh, as children of God, there is no one above another. True justice is essentially equality, true equality, not the world standards of equality. This was the purpose of his ministry here. But the legacy of his ministry continues in this book. That's why we have it. So that we can uh, learn from it and learn from him. And so what Jesus came to do, <clears throat> our work as a church, as Christians, should reflect or should continue that to preach the gospel so that the poor in spirit may be rich in spiritual abundance, so that the brokenhearted may be restored, so that in Christ um, those who are saved may be freed from their, from their captivity, from their enslavement to sin. And those who are blinded so that they may, may see the truth. That's why we preach the gospel. Certainly not um, to take righteous vengeance on God's enemies. Like it says in the portion that Jesus intentionally left out. That's for another time, and that's my problem. Your problem is this. What was their reaction? He then rolled up the scroll. It says, to, he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm come, I'm here. <laughs> And he said, um, all bore uh, to him and wondered at his gracious words, which came from his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Wait a minute. Isn't it that carpenter's son? The carpenter, the village carpenter? He said that? Ah, guys, I don't know. I Really him? <laughs> <clears throat> Nazareth was actually a rough neighborhood to grow up in. The Bible says, um, there's an old saying, um, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. 
So if you look on a Bible atlas, as Doug was talking about this morning, you'll see that there's a main highway running just uh, below Nazareth, which was um, hidden um, in the hills. So what would happen, bandits would rob caravans and trade carriages on the highway and then escape to Nazareth, the closest town where it was difficult for them to pursue. And so it was a rough neighborhood to grow up in. But that's uh, indirectly the point. It was people were carving out a life there. But they knew him. It was a town big enough that they knew this boy that grew up there. And now he's saying these things. But his fame had already uh, gone abroad. And it says that the miracles that he um, performed in uh, Capernaum were known. You will surely, um, sorry, um, in verse 23, he said, you will surely say uh, to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard you done in Cap Capernaum, do also here in your country. Let's get some of that miracle juice. <laughs> Let's line people up and you can heal them and, and we can get some tourism back in our country, you know. We're welcome to Nazareth, home of, the, of Joseph's son. His reply was very stern and very sharp. And he says, <clears throat> because you think you're entitled to God's grace, you will not receive it. No prophet has ever been accepted in his own country because historically prophets came to um, speak out God's uh, warnings and judgments on a nation or that's gone astray. So nobody liked prophets, actually. He said, they're not welcome uh, in their home. Truly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truthfully, then he refers to two stories, okay? To illustrate that point, that because you're the chosen nation, you think you're deserving of God's grace? He chose you. And he said, his grace will pour out to the whole world through me. Who are you to segment it, to decide that we are deserving and they are not deserving? When we think we're entitled to it. And he gives two examples, two stories from the Old Testament where grace could have been shown, miracles could have been done to the people of Israel. Leprosy could have been healed, but God chose rather to extend that to the, I, the other nations. Those who didn't think themselves worthy or, um, or blessed or entitled in any way, 
but they had they had faith they humbled themselves and they obeyed and if we look at our list of the people the recipients of Jesus's ministry wouldn't we say that those three things are the common factor here you can sort of draw strings to those three things to the poor in spirit to the brokenhearted to the captives to the blind to the bruised and beaten let's look at the examples truly i say to you uh sorry um in verse 25 but i tell you truthfully many widows were in israel in the days of elijah when the heavens were closed for three years and six months and when great famine was throughout the land so what happened in second in first kings or second um second kings uh ahaz ahab and his wife jezebel tyrannical rulers of israel at the time rampant idolatry and um elijah was a prophet at the time and he um caused that there would be no rain for three years over three years it was great famine people starving um a terrible judgment on the nation and um god told elijah um to go and seek out a woman a widow it says here um there were many widows in israel yet none of them um was elijah sent to except to zarephath a city in sidon to a woman who was a widow okay <clears throat> he was told to go there and he she would feed him and give him something to drink and a place to stay and when he met her he asked do you have anything to drink and eat and she said i have a handful of flour and some oil and i'm going to bake the last loaf of bread that i can and after me and my son eat this bread we'll probably starve to death because there's nothing else that's what she said that's what the old testament says and he says let me eat the bread and drink the water the the from the flour and the oil that you make and trust god <laughs> and she said okay <clears throat> and through um a miracle the jar that she received the flour from and the vessel that held the oil never ran out every time she took a handful of flour and some oil to make bread there was always flour and oil in the pots but she only did that after she obeyed and she trusted in god's word and so outside of israel <laughs> there was more faith than there was among god's chosen people the people who supposedly deserved the grace who supposedly um 
are the, the sons of Abraham, as the Pharisee so proudly announces. There were many starving widows, unfortunately, in Israel. But God showed grace elsewhere. He uses the second example of Elisha and Nahum, the great ruler, the second in command of Syria. So he goes the complete opposite. Um, it, said, it says in 2 Kings that Nahum was a great man, and, but he had leprosy. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen someone with leprosy. It's... it's um, excruciating it's their entire body and skin is covered with sores and boils and it's incredibly excruciating to suffer from leprosy um, where you scratch yourself and your skin is peeling off it's it's terrible okay so this great ruler which is the opposite of the starving woman went to Elisha uh, through, he, he heard that there was somebody that could heal him. And so he went there with his chariots and his entourage and, you know, to Elijah's house. And, um, and Elisha didn't go out to meet him, which was a great insult to this great ruler from Syria. He sent somebody else with instructions. Go and wash in the Jordan River. <clears throat> and Nahum said, this is an outrage. The, he won't even come outside to greet me. He sends someone else with some instructions to go and wash in a plebeian Israelite river when we have so much better rivers in Damascus. And uh, he was outraged and he was about to leave. And through some reasoning, he humbled himself. The people said, if Elisha told you to climb the highest mountain on earth, wouldn't you have done that? All he's asking you to do is this one simple task. Show some humility. S swallow your pride and obey you had the faith to come out here already and seek uh, help from the god of israel through his prophet humble yourself to what he told you to do and obey and nahum did and he washed himself in the river jordan and he came out and it said his skin was like a young child's Why were the people in the synagogue so angry to hear these examples that Jesus gave? Because of their prejudice to anyone that wasn't a Jew. How can God show his grace to that person or that person or that person or that person? He must show his grace to me. We're not 
any one of us deserving of it. That's why it's called grace. So the story goes that they had dragged him out of the synagogue and they were so angry with him that they were about to kill him. They were about to throw him off a crevice head first and kill him. That's how angry they were. That's how ingrained the Jewish uh, hatred for the outside was. And Jesus said, I'm here to break down those preconceptions of me and break down those barriers. It's time for everyone to receive if we would humble ourselves, if we would obey. And if we would have faith. But it said he escaped. Um, actually, it says, I'll read it to you here, but passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So I don't know what that looks like, but suddenly they had him, and then when they looked again, he was gone. <laughs> and he had just walked through the crowd and left. I thought, I think that's pretty cool. I don't know what that must have looked like. Aren't these three things in the gospel that we preach to others? Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He rose again on the third day. That if we place our faith in him, we don't have anywhere else to turn. Lord, you are our salvation. If we humble ourselves in that way, we call it repentance. Then once we are saved and, and the Spirit indwells us and we are a new creation, to obey, to continue that road of faithfulness and humility and obedience. And never think we are deserving of it. And never say, point a finger to someone else and ever accuse them of being undeserving of the Lord's grace. The point is none of us are, and he shows it to us. We don't excuse the sin. We don't excuse... Um, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we must remember who we are in relation to our great God. And then when we share the gospel, we share it in love. And not with a hidden prejudice or, um, or any sense of I am better than you. I believe that is the essence of what Jesus was teaching here in the synagogue. And I pray that as we go out and we share the gospel 
and we show our testimony of Christ to our friends and our families and our colleagues that we may remember these things. To live in faith and trust in the Lord, to be humble and to obey his word in all things. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you now for our message, for the baptism, for all that you give us, Lord, and all the grace that you show us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.